Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Y'all doing okay? All right. It'll get better. It's okay. <laughs> For those of you I've not met, my name's Steve. For those of you that don't know, Dan and Angie Drew. Uh, they've been a part of our church for many, many years. Angie has been our nursery coordinator, director, I would tell you pastor, shepherd, lover of babies and mamas uh, for 12 years with us. Pretty close. Pretty close. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, then Dan, her husband, of course, is actually uh, on our staff full-time as our children's director. But today is actually Angie's last weekend running and coordinating the nursery, and we wanted to just recognize her for all that she's done. She's invested in so many people over the years, and uh, but it kind of raises the question, okay, if you're stepping away, kind of why, and is Dan going to, and the answer is not today, but yes, because God has really done something really cool, and I'm excited for them and uh, for their future. So, Dan, I want to let you kind of share. Yeah, so I'm not going to do this, but I thought how fun it would be to have everyone that's had someone in the nursery that Angie's life has affected, one of those little ones. That would be incredible. But, see, God is opening up a new chapter in our lives, and um, we have always had it in our hearts that we would love to minister again with our son, Ben. Our son, Ben, is now currently the lead pastor, the senior pastor at Mesa Baptist Church. And we are going to, uh, we are resigning from here at Desert Springs. And that's hard because we love you folks. Uh, we love the families. We love the kids. We love the ministry. We love the staff. Uh, but God's leading us to a new place. So we're moving across the valley to the east side. We already have a home there. And we're going to help Mesa Baptist Church and be there for our son, Ben, and his family. So it's really cool, and, and it's just a, a new chapter. So it's going to be really nice. So about a year and a half ago, uh, and I've been very involved with Mesa Baptist, one of our sister churches, and kind of some transition they were going through and uh, had an interim there helping them get healthy and then looking for that next guy. And so uh, it was really cool when Ben, uh, I remember we talked and talked to him a little bit about it, but he put in his resume. He's doing a great job there. Uh, in fact, I just had lunch with him about 10 days ago uh, talking about this and told him how much fun. I can remember when my dad came down to Desert Springs and, and, and helped me and what a cool piece that was. So we're very excited for that. So this is Angie's last weekend uh, heading up our nursery. Sarah Veronese now is doing that. So if you've not met Sarah, uh, if you haven't signed up to help Sarah, go over and do that, and that's great. Dan will continue on. Uh, probably we're looking December sometime, but we are looking for that position. But uh, Andy, more than anything, we wanted to just recognize you today. And first off, we know the new house, there's always... Uh, stuff that needs to be done and then secondly we just wanted to give you these beautiful flowers there you go and let you know we love you thank you very much and just uh, by way of prayer request just so that you know um, Mesa Baptist Church is not in a position for me to go over there and be on staff so I'm actually looking for work and uh, that's a challenge and uh, looking for what the Lord has next. So be praying about that, if you would, uh, for just the, the next ministry, the next job for us and for, for me. 
Thank That'd you. be great. Yes, and they does need prayer for that. So got to put food on the table. So we're excited about that. If you got your Bibles today, we are in the book of Revelation. As we continue our study there, we're going to get into the seven seal book and or scroll and begin to, to take this apart. Now, the book of Revelation, prophecy, tends to, for some people, to be very confusing. I, I know people come, uh, you know, but then they miss a Sunday because they're on vacation or they're sick or whatever. So I, I want to try to be as clear as possible. So one of the things you're going to see, we'll, we'll do some redundancy here, but I want to make sure that you get and you, you understand. So the book of Revelation... Uh, the outline's given to us in chapter 1, verse 19. Write the things that he has seen, the things which are, the things to come hereafter. Things he has seen is, is chapter 1. It's that detailed description of Jesus and his glory. The things which are, chapters 2 and 3, are letters to seven local churches that existed in the time of John in that first century. Chapter 4, verse 1, are the things which are to come hereafter. We would hold the position that from chapter 4, verse Verse 1 and on is still today prophetic. It is still what is going to happen. And there are four major events that the book of Revelation deals with. The first is the book or, or the idea of the tribulation. Seven years where God is going to be judging the earth and preparing it for the Messiah to come and to rule and to reign. This is actually starts chapter 6 verse 1, the opening of the first seal through the end of chapter 19. What ends the tribulation is the next major event, which is the second coming of Christ. And of course, that's talked a lot about in the Old Testament, uh, that Jesus is going to return, and he is coming back, and he's coming back to the Mount of Olives. That's chapter 19. The third major event, then, is chapter 20. It is what we call the millennial kingdom. A thousand years, Jesus is going to literally, physically reign here on the earth and all those promises that he's made to Abraham that he made to David that he made to the children of Israel we looked at some of them the wolf lying down with the lamb and 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 the child playing by the cobra hole and and they're just not being that that danger piece that everything will be restored is in this thousand years and that's revelation chapter 20 then the end chapter 20 we have the great white throne judgment and in chapter 21 we move into the fourth major prophetic event which is called eternity or the eternal state and this is where we will live forever this is when there is no more death no more sickness no more disease there's new heavens there's new earth there's the new jerusalem which will be our final abode where we get to live throughout all of eternity now, those are the four major events in the book of Revelation. The next prophetic event that most of us as Christians are interested in is called the rapture. It's when the church is called out. The question is, when does that happen? Because it's really not talked about in the book of Revelation. And though there's debate about this, we would see it that biblically the best lining up is that it happens sometimes prior to the tribulation. So for us, the very next thing on the prophetic calendar is that time that Jesus returns for his church. And then after that, these next 
four major events. So if you weren't with us, in chapter 5, we talked about the seven-seal scroll. To understand the book of Revelation, you have to understand the seven-seal scroll. It's written on the inside and outside. Most likely, it's, it's a deed, kind of a title deed. Written on the outside would be who is worthy to redeem. And of course, if you remember, no one was worthy until John's told not to weep. And yes, one was found. And of course, it's Jesus, right? Who, who was the one who was worthy. Because here's the thing. When God created the earth, you go back to Genesis, he put man in charge. You were to rule. You were to reign. You were to subdue. Man voluntarily surrendered that right to the lies of, of Satan, to the evil one. Instead of being in charge, he listens to someone else and obeys someone else, and all of a sudden, Satan now becomes the ruler of this age, the, the god of this world. So what we see is, is that this, this scroll in these seven seals are what are seven things that must be executed by the Lord Jesus to prepare the world for that day when it goes back to how God intended it. That man, oh by the way, the perfect God-man is the one who rules and reigns. And this time when there is no more curse. And so when we get to chapter 6, what we see is the opening of these seals. Now we're just going to deal with the first seal today, but for the sake of uh, because I, I really want you to understand today. You know, sometimes people, when it comes to prophecy, and they go, well, the book of Revelation is so hard, and, but, you know, and it just depends on how you interpret it. Well, yeah, obviously interpretation is important. But there's lots of other scripture that tell us about this time of tribulation. And so today, I, I, I want to tie those two in so that you can see that we're not just making this up or making this fit in the book of Revelation. If you ever listen, how many of you listen to the Resident Strangers podcast? Okay, not enough of you. You, you need to get it, right? Uh, Self-promotion here. But one of the things that Rich loves to talk about is their theology, and there's biblical theology. So you take a book, and you see what it says about certain pieces. So we can take the book of Revelation, see what it says about prophecy and what's to come. But there's a second type of theology, which is systematic theology, where you take the entire word of God and what it says about a subject. And so today we want to do a little systematic theology. We want to take some other passages that talk about the tribulation and see what we can learn to give us insight as we now head into chapters 6, 7, and 8 in the book of Revelation. So today I want to start with, let's read chapter 6. Let's read, um, let's read down to about verse 11. I'll read out loud if you follow along. Then I saw when the lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a voice of thunder, come. I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. When he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. 
And another, a red horse, went out. And to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth, and that men would slay one another, and great sword was given to him. When he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, a qu three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the four living creatures saying, Come. I looked, and behold, an ashen horse, and he who sat on it had the name Death. And Hades was following with him. Authority was given to him over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and with wild beasts of the earth. And when the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe. And they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. So, a couple things. These horses come. What do we see? Well, we see a lot of death, right? Killing, murder with the second one. We see famine. We see... Uh, the kind of death, the ashen horse. Uh, we see martyrdom. So what we see are these judgments that are going to come. Now what I want you to do is I want you to turn with me to another passage. It's in the book of Daniel. We looked at it a few weeks ago when we were talking about the tribulation and why we think it happens before. But this is a central passage to understand this whole period of tribulation. It's found in Daniel chapter 9. While you're turning there, just let me remind you, God took Israel, Judah, into captivity to Babylon because of their, of their rebellion against him. Daniel was taken at the very beginning, and of course he became a great man in Babylon. He's studying the writings and the teachings of Jeremiah, and Jeremiah prophesied in his book that this captivity was going to be for 70 years. By this time, Daniel's an old man when you get to Daniel chapter 9. And he's going, well, man, the 70 years are coming to an end. So what's next? And so he asked the Lord for that. And this is the, an angel shows up and this is the vision he gives him. In verse 24, 70 weeks. Now, if you weren't with us, weeks there doesn't mean seven days. It means like a dozen. It's just a group of seven. 70 groups of seven have been decreed on your people and your holy city. Who is he talking to? He's talking to Daniel. He's talking about the Jews. He's talking about Jerusalem. And that these 70 groups of seven, there are six things that are going to be accomplished. To finish the transgression, 
to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Now remember, the temple's been destroyed at this point. So he's looking ahead, actually, Ezekiel, who talks about the temple that, that will happen in, in the last days. So he says this, So you are to know and to discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. You add 7 and 62, you get 69. Now remember, he said there's 70. He's talking about 69 of those 70 now. And what does he say? From the issuing of the decree to rebuild and restore Jerusalem. We know exactly when that happened. It's in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 2 was under Artaxerxes. When Artaxerxes gives the word and gives the decree to Nehemiah to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Fast forward 483 years. So the weeks represent a group of seven years. So fast forward 69 groups of seven years, 483 years. What do you have? Until Messiah, the prince. Oh. So what happens 483 years after Artaxerxes signed that? Well, Literally to the day Jesus rides into Jerusalem, the Messiah, as it had been predicted. Well, then what happens? Uh, verse uh, 26. Then, after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. What happens at the end of that Passion Week after Jesus rode in, into Jerusalem? He dies. And the people of the prince who is to come, very interesting, will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and its end will come with the flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. So, 69 weeks, Messiah. Messiah is then cut off, so time stops in, in this. Messiah is cut off, then the people, the princes to come are going to come and destroy the city. Best we understand, Jesus died around 33 AD. Some debate is, is it 33, 34, whatever, but right around 33 AD. In 70 AD, Titus, the Roman emperor, came and completely destroyed Israel. They were taken into captivity, they were sent away. The city city of Jerusalem was utterly destroyed. The temple was taken down block by block. Not one was left. That happened in 70 AD. In fact, up until 1948, Israel had never been a sovereign nation again. So what we see is 69 weeks have taken place. Now we get to verse 27. And he, so is he talking about Messiah? No. What he's talking about here, the prince who is to come, he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. That's our 70th week. One more group of seven years. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offerings, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate. Very important words there. 
even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed and is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Here's what we learn about the tribulation from Daniel chapter 9. It's seven years. We're going to see that later in the book of Revelation. It even gets it down to months and days. It's seven years. It's exact. Secondly, the tribulation begins with the this man of peace, this prince who will come, who will make a firm covenant. You know, a lot of Christians think what starts the tribulation is the rapture. And that's not true. What starts the tribulation is a covenant between this prince who is to come, we're going to call him the Antichrist, and Israel. I think it's the idea of protecting them and, it, and we'll get into this in a moment when we get back into Revelation 6, and, and that he comes with this, this covenant of peace. The other thing that we see in this is that something happens in the middle of the week. So in the middle of those seven years, something happens. He calls it the abomination of desolation will occur. The other thing that we see here in, in Daniel chapter 9 is that the tribulation ends with the destruction of the prince who is to come. Notice those last couple words. It is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Complete destruction. So at the end of this, the prince who is to come, the Antichrist, is completely destroyed. Of course, what do we see in the book of Revelation? At the end of the tribulation, the, the Antichrist is thrown into the lake of fire. Okay? Here's the second passage I want you to look at. It's found in Matthew chapter 24. So go there with me. Jesus is uh, walking out. This is during the week uh, the triumphal entry has happened. We're moving towards Passover and him being sacrificed. He's been teaching in the temple. They walk out. One of the fun things, you get to go to, to Israel someday, go to Jerusalem. And one of the places, we don't know exactly where this was, but you kinda, it's kind of got to be close to where you'll be. There's an overlook from the Mount of Olives, which is where Jesus is when he says this, and they're overlooking the temple site. And Jesus talks about the tribulation. Uh, <laughs> I would call it the Reader's Digest version of the book of Revelation. And then I said that last night and I realized probably half the people here have no idea what Reader's Digest is, right? I dated myself. For those of you that are laughing, you're dating yourself. For those of you that are really young, there used to be this thing that they would, they would take a book and they would just shrink it down to a few pages or like a, a chapter. So you got the whole book without reading it, right? It's like cliff notes for, for books. It was called Reader's Digest. Basically, Matthew 24 is a sh the short story of the tribulation. And what I want you to listen for as we read this is I want you to listen for the very things that we saw in Revelation chapter 6. So this is what he says. Jesus came out from the temple, was going away, when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him, and he said, do you see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. That was literally fulfilled in 70 A.D., as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming and at the, of the end of the age? 
Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. And you will be hated by all nations because of my name. And at that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations and then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand that those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. So Jesus speaks about the tribulation. What are the signs of your coming? The end of the age. This is what he gets them. And so what you see here is literally Revelation chapter 6 in kind of a microcosm. And I, I wish we had more time to do this, but I'm, I'm pressed for time, so let me just put it up there. What you see in Revelation, is the, and we're going to look at in a moment, the one coming on the white horse is the Antichrist. What does he say in, in Matthew 24, 5? Many will come in my name. By the way, sorry, our... Our board worked last night, and this morning it didn't, and we found out a module burned up, so it'll be fixed, but that's why it's on the side here. The second war, you're going to hear wars and rumors of wars. That's the second seal. He talks about famines and earthquakes. That's the third seal. Death is going to take place. Martyrdom. See, it lines up perfectly with the book of Revelation. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about. So what do we learn about the tribulation here that will help us understand Revelation chapter 6? Well, first of all, the end times will happen like birth pangs. Now, obviously, I have never experienced that because I'm a man. I know there's some debate about all that stuff, but I haven't. I've been there, I've watched it, I have not truly experienced it, so if I, I don't express it just right, give me some grace here. But for those of you who have, what do we know about birth pangs, right? First of all, they are intense. When the contractions begin, it is unlike any other pain an experience that, that a woman is going to face. Secondly, that when they start, as, as maybe significant as they are, they are going to get worse. The closer you get to the end, the more severe they get, and they get more quicker in succession. Uh, in fact, part of what you're doing is you're, how much time between contractions, you know? As you get closer, you've got to get to the hospital, right? That's it. The, the third thing is, is that once they start happening, you're not stopping it. But I also remind you on the good side, what results of that is new life. And what will result of the tribulation is a, 
a new world here. Jesus is going to rule and reign. So what, what kind of wisdom does that give us? Well, when we start looking at these seven seals, which then turn into seven trumpets and then into seven bowl judgments, 19 full judgments upon the earth, they're not spaced incrementally. They're spaced with the closer you get to the end, the more they're going to be and the more severe they're going to be. These first ones are not going to be as severe as the last ones. Uh, secondly, that once this start, once the clock starts on this, there is nothing that is going to stop it. It's like birth pains. The second thing that we see here in Matthew 24 is the same thing we saw in the book of, uh, of Daniel. In the middle of the tribulation, this thing called the abomination of desolation will take place. Right? He even references Daniel here. Well, what is this? Well, if we had time, maybe once we get there to Daniel chapter 13, we'll, we'll have time to go and look at it. But in Daniel chapter 11, there's a prophecy that was fulfilled by a man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes who conquered Jerusalem, went into the temple, put up an idol to his God, and sacrificed pigs upon the altar. He desecrated the temple. Daniel says, in the last days, this is going to happen again. Jesus says, in the last days, this is going to happen again. You get to Revelation 13, what do we see? And he, it's speaking of the false prof prophet here, deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it is given to him to perform in the presence of the beast, the Antichrist, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life, and it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. The abomination of desolations is that three and a half year mark, the, the Antichrist is going to desecrate the temple. And he is going to put a statue of himself there that will even be able to speak and move. It's kind of interesting when you think of the technology of what happens today, right? What they're able to do. And he's going to desecrate the temple. Now, a couple things, right? So let's, let's fast forward to... October 15th of 2023. Part of what's going on in Israel today, if you hear this from the Hamas side, they call it the Al-Aqsa flood, right? Because that's the mosque that is on the temple site. There is no temple today. And part of why they have said they're doing this is because they keep hearing about the Jews are going to rebuild a temple. There is going to be a temple. Now, whether it happens prior to the tribulation or maybe that's even the peace accord that the Antichrist is able to do with the Arabs to be able to, to work this out that they can build their temple. But in the midpoint, he is going to desecrate it and set up worship to himself. What we see also is that when that happens... Really, in some ways, the tribulation of seven years is in two parts. The first three and a half, which are pretty bad, right? Four seal, one-fourth of the world's population is dead. Did you see that? We'll look at that more in depth next week. 
But what we see in Matthew 24, if we had kept reading down into verse 21, for then there will be great tribulation. The second half is really bad. It's like, you thought that was bad. In fact, Jesus even goes on and says in verse 22, unless those days have been cut short, no life would have been saved. The other thing that we see, if we had continued on here in Matthew 24, is found in verse 30. And then... The sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. How does it all end? Second coming of Jesus. Do you see the symmetry between Daniel 9, Jesus in Matthew 24, and the book of Revelation? See, it's all telling us the same thing. So, let's go back. Revelation chapter 6. Let's look at this first seal. Then I saw the Lamb... When the lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a voice of thunder, come. I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. So, what can we learn about this first seal? Well, first of all, the seal is about executing part of God's judgment. And they're represented by horses. The writer here isn't so important. In fact, in a couple of them, the writer's not even mentioned. What's significant is the color of the horse. And if you go back to Zechariah, specifically in chapter 1, and again in chapter 6, horses were used prophetically about how God was going to judge the enemies of Israel. This first horse is a white one. The second thing that we get here is the sound of coming judgment. He says, I heard the, uh, one of the four living creatures saying as with a voice of thunder. What does that mean? The voice of thunder. Was the sound of coming judgment. So, as I mentioned, my, all my mom's side of the family lived in Wichita, Kansas, right there in the heart of Tornado Alley. And so every summer we would go out and we would visit, and sure enough, one of those nights, one of those Kansas storms would begin to brew out to the west or the southwest. And that sky would turn that greenish, grayish darkness, right? Then the wind would start picking up. But you knew it was coming when you started hearing the thunder. And you'd look up and say, oh man, we're going to have a storm. That's the idea. He's, his, his voice is that of thunder. Come, judgment is coming. So what is this judgment? I look to behold a white horse. A white horse. And he who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. So one of the first questions you've got to ask, well, is this Jesus? Is this the Messiah? He's coming on a white horse. Doesn't Jesus come on a white horse? And he comes to conquer, right? He's going to set up his kingdom. The answer is no. Why? Well, this is the beginning of the tribulation. Jesus doesn't come until the end of the tribulation. Secondly, he doesn't come with a bow, by the way, minus arrows. We'll talk about that in a moment. He comes with a sword, a sharp sword out of his mouth to destroy his enemies. We also see that when he comes, he comes as the one who brings an end to all of this. This is the beginning. So who and what does this white horse represent? Well, this white horse represents 
the one that we would call the Antichrist. You know what anti means, right? The opposite, the false. This is the false Christ. Why a white horse? Well, it might be false righteousness, but I think what's more consistent is the idea of false peace. You know, Jesus is the one who's going to bring in everlasting righteousness. Go back to Daniel chapter 9. He's going to bring in that everlasting peace. This man, I think that's even the idea of why he has a bow but not arrows. The bow is an instrument of war, but it doesn't, you know, there's no bloodshed without the arrows. And even though he comes conquering and to conquer, what it appears like is that how he is going to conquer is not that he doesn't have some military might, but most of it is done through making covenants. That's what he's going to do with the people of Israel. There's an interesting verse in 1 Thessalonians 5. Where Paul's talking about the end times, and he says, For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night when they are saying peace and safety. Was the world usually a place of peace and safety? And the answer is no. How are we going to get there? I think it's the Antichrist. He's going to promise this false sense of safety, of protection. I mean, think about it if a man today could show up and promise peace in the Middle East and peace in the Ukraine and peace between the governments of the world. The first judgment, it says it's given to him a crown. You know, one of the things that we see is the word here, crowns, is, is from the word Stephanos, which is a victor's crown. Where when Jesus comes... He comes with diadems. They're the royal crown. So he is given this bow. He's given this crown. Why? Because he's part of the judgment. He's the false Christ. He is the one who many are going to see as that Messiah that is talked about not only by the Jews and not only by the Christians, but also by the Muslims who is going to come and is going to bring peace. Now, I got to be done, but I want to ask you a question today. And I want to be careful because here's the thing. Christians have for hundreds of years read and studied and speculated. And I'm really not wanting to cause us to speculate today. That's, that's not my purpose. Because there have been many other times in history. I mean, think of when Hitler came on the scene. I'm sure Christians speculated this could be the time. And yet we're given prophecy for a reason, right? And it's not just to speculate, but it is to understand the time. But let me ask you this question. How would our world respond today to a man of peace? A man who could make peace between Israel and its neighbors. A man who could bring peace to what's going on with the Armenians, Ukrainian, North Korea, China, Taiwan. Folk, I don't know when Jesus is going to come back. All I know is that when I see the things that we're told about what are going to happen, 
man, there's a lot of things there that line up. So what was it? A month ago, I went bopping into Sam's Club. You know, Friday, that's what Tammy and I do, right? Hot date, Sam's Club. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I mean, it's September. And what's there? Artificial Christmas trees. All kinds of, you know, Christmas decorations. You know Christmas is coming. Well, the other thing you know is that Thanksgiving is even closer. Thanksgiving is even closer. I don't know when Jesus is going to come back. I always, like my dad used to say, you know, I don't know when the Lord's going to come back, but if he doesn't come back now, he's missing a great opportunity, right? I, I hope that he's had that discussion with the Lord. I don't know when Jesus is going to come back. But I know that the world stage, you know, I used to do drama when I was a kid at high school and you would set the stage prior to the play and in, in blackout scenes you would reset the stage for the next scene the stage is being set and that ought to affect us but my question is how does it affect us if as a believer in Christ Reading what's going to come and reading the situation and looking at our world, if it moves us more to political response, then we're reading it wrong. If, if it moves us more to, to be engaged in, you know, trying to, you know, speak against globalism and all this kind of stuff than it does to make us just simply live Jesus to see that we might be that last generation to preach the gospel to live Jesus to understand we might be that neighbor's last opportunity to hear the gospel because it looks like we're getting close and if we're gone and then the world slides into this did you, did you see within the fourth judgment of 19 one fourth of the world's population is dead then we're not reading it right we're focused on the wrong thing this world is not our home. That doesn't mean that we don't get involved while we're here. We certainly, but we get involved as believers who have our eyes on that day. We live Jesus. We share Jesus. We live on mission. That's what we're called to do. That's why we're getting prophecy. Not just so that somehow we can understand the times and sit down and have all these think tanks and talking and you know wonder. No, no, no. So we could go live Jesus. It's also given to us for those who don't know Jesus is just maybe He brought you here today so that you would hear and understand that there is only one Christ. There's only one Messiah. It's Jesus. He died for you. He's coming back this next time. It's not like the little babe in Bethlehem. He's coming back as the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the roaring lion. Today is the day of salvation. If you've not put your faith and trust in him, man, today's the day.